how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're bottom. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. Cousins Ryan Furpo and Kaz Furpo both felt a deep connection to storytelling, but it wasn't until they formed a partnership that they could break into the industry. Their first script, Ruin, about a nameless ex-Nazi captain after World War II who hunts down the surviving members of the SS Death Squad, actually won the 2017 Blacklist and is now listed as pre-production with Margot Robbie set to star and Justin Curzel as a director. For the current film, Eternals is going to be the first film of Marvel's Phase 4 before Black Widow and Shang-Chi, but quarantine scheduling pushed back the release date. For this movie, they had to craft an Avengers-like film without the benefit of having 10 other movies to develop characters. Rather than getting to know Tony Stark and Steve Rogers over time, we were introduced to Cersei, Icarus, Athena, Ajax, Kingo, Sprite, Fastus, Druig, Makarai, Gilgamesh, Karun, and Dane Whitman all at once. In this interview, the Furpo cousins talk about how Hollywood bleeds into creative pursuits, Marvel's Phase 4, how screenwriting emerges the creative mind with the engineering mind, and when to cross boundaries as a writer. Now, there are some partial spoilers in this interview if you haven't already seen Eternals, and you can find the print version on Creative Screenwriting's website. Well, firstly, I think that just storytelling is kind of in my blood, you know, like my uh, great Great grand, my great grandmother actually, our great grandmother was actually a famous stage actress in Paris in the turn of the century. So she was a performer and a storyteller, and and so we've always had those kind of people in our in our family. And uh, and then for me personally, I was really interested in comic books when I was uh, maybe like ten or twelve years old. And uh, but you know I was really interested in uh, image comics at the time because they were like kind of a bad boy upstart label. And so at that time, I wanted to be a comic book artist actually, and I was drawing a lot. And I was pretty good, but I kind of hit a point where I sort of plateaued. And then so that from there, I started to be more interested in just the stories themselves. Um, and so I started writing like short fiction when I was like, you know, maybe like, I don't know, 14 or 15. And at that same time, uh, I was also like a, a big time skate rat. And I was just skating all around uh, the Bay Area 
and I was really into skate videos. And at that time, Spike Jones was making uh, skate videos with girl skateboards, chocolate skateboards, and um, and they were just these amazing videos. And over time, I started to become more interested in the filmmaking aspect than the skateboarding aspect. And so that kind of started to get me into into uh, open up that door. And then, and that's when sort of like TV cameras came out and you could edit uh, a pretty good movie on your home uh, computer. And so I just started making um, skate videos that evolved into short films with all my friends. And then the, uh, the, the screenwriting kind of just sort of uh, kept getting more and more sophisticated until about by the time I was like in my late teens, I was I wrote like a feature length screenplay, screenplay that was an actual like real movie. And then it just kind of kept uh, expanding from there. Yeah, and, and for what it's worth, like a very similar story, but from a different side, this is Kaz speaking, by the way. You know, Ryan and I are both cousins. We kind of grew up <clears throat> just literally hanging out at birthday parties and Christmas and, and making movies in the backyard with this TV camera. <clears throat> but that's so much, that's how so much of this began for us. It's like we grew up in this incredible time where you could get, you could literally borrow your dad's camera, shoot a movie on TV and like cut it together in iMovie. And so for me, it really started like, because we had to write, someone had to write the scripts, you know, and I was shooting movies with my friends in our backyards. I grew up in the woods um, and we would just, I've shot like hundreds of these like little short films and action movies and just like these just movies with your buddies, these home movies. And it got to the point where, yeah, you just started telling like more and more sophisticated stories. I always say like, the, if you want to learn how to tell a story, like read books, watch movies, play video yeah. games, read comics, like watch a ballet, like take an opera, like story takes so many forms. Um, it's definitely in our blood. It's in our family. Our family loves to tell stories. And so just being surrounded by that as kids kind of gets its way into you and puts its hooks in you. But then in terms of like a technical level, you know, we really approached it. I think both Ron and I, we approached it like a full-time job. You know, I was reading every script book, which you have to read all the books to know that they're actually pointless, but it's like, you have to read them, you know? And so I read like story by Robert McKee and screenplay by Sid Field. And Ryan sent me an amazing book called Screenplay 101 by this screenwriting online, 101. Screenwriting yeah. 101 by this literally an online film critic named Film Crit Hulk, who's like anonymous. And we just read all the books. And obviously I, I went sort of the traditional route. And I went to NYU film school. I did four years at Tisch. Um, I took advanced feature writing with Emacs Fry. Shout out to Emacs Fry. He wrote some of Band of Brothers um, and just sort of literally attacked screenwriting, which I realized, you know, I think it's Kurosawa who says it. If you want to make a movie, if you want to be a director, you have to know how to write because that's really where you make the movie. You know, I think Paul Thomas Anderson also says he's like, I just write the script and let the actors just do what's on the page because I've already directed 90% of the movie on the page, you know? And so for me, it was just a lot of, of trial and error. I wrote a lot of movies with my college roommate literally on these like sprints where he'd spend like four weeks writing a movie um start to finish and that just the process of finishing something like i often say this if you've ever written a script and like finished it like i'll buy you a drink and we can go talk about it because just writing a movie is so hard um if you've ever tried there are so many movies that people start and they work on them they start on them but then finishing it that becomes the real challenge and so you know ryan's written like a dozen movies and that's sort of where our collaboration began he was the best writer I knew that I happened to be related to. So I ended up asking him to write a script with me. And that's sort of where our big journey began. What are some of the logistics of your partnership? Because some people still think of writers almost like authors alone in the room, but you guys are more partnership, more like TV writing. And it's very collaborative, the, the whole effort. How do you guys kind of balance things out? Are there strengths and weaknesses and some of those things as well? 
there's definitely uh, strengths yeah. and weaknesses, but I will just talk about the process, Ryan, and I'll hand it to you. It's like sure. the way it sort of began was having this sort of codified system, which I sort of like accidentally developed in film school. And it really is just the only system I've found where you're basically taking all that story that's in your brain, you know, in your imaginations and making it a little bit more tangible and practical. And that's a very useful step because there are some gifted writers like Ryan, for instance, who pretty much can keep a whole movie in their head and just like figure it out as they go and write a page here, write a page there. That's not who I am. And that's not the storyteller that I am. And so for me, it's a really a process, you know, it begins with like taking in information. If we're writing a movie, for instance, about World War II or the aftermath of World War II, which was our first script that we wrote together, which ended up winning the blacklist and frankly opening all the doors in Hollywood for us. And really, it's really how the script that landed us Eternals. Um, it's called Ruin and it's set six months after the end of World War II. It follows a former SS officer, like an ex-Nazi captain who's determined to atone for his crimes during the war by hunting down and killing all the members of his old unit. And along the way, he meets the survivor from one of his camps, who's the only one who knows where his commanding officer is hiding. It's like a, a grim Western basically set in like this sort of apocalyptic Germany. And um, it's based on a lot, a lot, a lot of true stories and a lot of research. And so for me, as a historian, as a classics minor, as somebody who loves history, we read a lot of books about it, did a lot of internet research, did a lot of like academic, like full blown library research. And then most importantly, we read books about it. We read, we watched movies. Like every night we would watch a movie set in this sort of tone sometimes they'd be literal westerns from like the 1800s sometimes they'd be like space westerns but we just try to fill ourselves up with those stories and then once you've done that then you start to you know write those cards the cards are so lo-fi but they they've never not been useful I, I still swear by them I can tell you when we wrote Eternals there was hundreds of cards on a wall like literally like hundreds and they're being rearranged carefully we had an intern who's incredible who's like printing them out in blue and in red and color coding them to keep track of arcs so that system I could I swear by it once you do those cards that then becomes the outline and the outline is usually 20 to 30 pages and I would say like that's one of the core aspects of the process because those 30 pages is basically every beat in the movie you know you might have some key lines of dialogue but really it's about the character arcs the large story beats that all comes down into that outline and there's something magical about restructuring a series of cards because to change a scene you just go like this but when you've written a scene in a movie and the, the, you really love the scene and the words are kind of good, it's a lot harder to delete it or to change it or to move it. So we really swear by the like research phase, which I call development phase, then the carding sort of broad strokes outline, and then the actual functional outline itself, which then becomes the draft. Um, it seems like a lot of steps, but the best part, like, you know, how do you eat a whale one bite at a time? It makes making a movie a lot more simple, a lot more step by step. Um, and yeah. then Ryan's gift is that he can breathe life into these characters. Yeah. I mean, just talking about process, um, I just kind of written more and more movies and written more and more things. Um, I kind of, my personal feeling now is that you should adopt a process that fits the story best, you know? So like the carding and the system that Kaz is describing, it, 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 it's very uh, uh, productive and very um, effective. And it's something that we use constantly, but I also think that there's other methods you could take with different kinds of stories, you know, like I take someone like uh, Hunter S. Thompson or something like that, you know, like the way that he writes stuff um, is not like that at all, <laughs> but it fits the, it fits what the story that he's trying to tell, it fits the voice that he's trying to capture. So I've, as I've sort of like grown as a writer, 
I've tried to kind of adopt different processes that can fit the whatever you're trying to put on the page. Like maybe the project is you're trying to make something that feels more like more hectic, more chaotic. And so maybe in that sense, um, having a more rigid approach is 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 less helpful to the to the process. Um, so I think like you know when you uh, to be a, a great storyteller, you should kind of have all the different um, muscles. You know, it's almost like a, like a musician. You know, you have to be able to play jazz. Uh, when you need to. Um, and so that's something that that we've worked on uh, developing as we've gotten kind of deeper and deeper into the Hollywood game. How daunting was the responsibility of kind of, because I mean, this isn't necessarily the first film of phase four, but it's kind of the first where it's new characters. You got 12 characters. You guys are almost like having to do a whole Avengers type arc in one movie rather than like 10 movies. So um, how did you kind of go about some of these things? Was it mainly just the, the process there? Um, and what makes a Marvel movie kind of in your opinion, like what, ha- what elements had to be there? Yeah, from the jump, you know, we wanted it to be a story that was really about characters. And I think that was the mission for us is that we, even from the beginning, there are a hundred Eternals, you know, there's literally like, actually not even, there's hundreds of Eternals. And we were sort of given this gift, this treasure chest. And it was like, come back, devour this and come back and tell us a story. And that was really what the pitching process was like. And so when we set out to figure this movie out, you know, what we really wanted to do was take people somewhere that they'd never seen before to places that they hadn't seen and to make them feel stuff that was unusual or new or challenging for a Marvel movie, for a superhero story. And this is something that I always say, because I feel pretty strongly about this. You know, I studied classics in school. I mentioned this. I, I worked in an archaeological dig in Egypt. And that all comes back to this basic thing that I think superhero stories, stories of gods, of people with powers, you know, we've been telling those stories as humans, as in in every civilization and every culture for thousands of years. You know, these stories go back to ancient Babylon, to the Epic of Gilgamesh, some of the first stories that we tell. And they're about people that are stronger and better than us, who are fallible, who are challenged, you know, who are struggling. And I think that when the gods struggle, it makes it a little bit easier to be human. And we've been telling all those stories. And so for us with Eternals, we really wanted to interrogate the sort of myth, the great myth of the superpowered being and to try to tap into something like that big and that primordial. Um, And then just getting to play with, you know, everything from Jim Kruger's Earth X to the Neil Gaiman run and just looking at all these incredible arcs and characters. We really just wanted to make a movie that entertained. I think that's really, that's what an MCU movie does is it, it challenges you, it entertains you, it rewards your, you know, attention. If you've been paying, you know, Eternals is really a movie that I'm biased, but I've seen it like nine or 10 times in theaters with audiences at this point. And every time I get something different out of it, it's really a movie that is that layered. It really has that much to it. And even though it's so dense and complicated and sometimes it's challenging, you know, it really has so much to say. Uh, and so for us, we really wanted to try to do something new and, and most importantly, to uh, send us into a new direction. And just for some inside baseball, since we're here, we actually were supposed to be the first phase four movie, but then we had this pandemic you may have heard about um, and that reshuffled things a lot for the whole world and particularly for the release timeline. So we actually were November, 2020, which would have been the first of all the new phase fours. So yeah, we really were kicking things off with a bang. Um, but frankly, we're, we're, we're glad for how it all worked out. And, and yeah, it was, it's been a journey. So I've talked to a few people who work on Marvel projects, probably more like the creators of WandaVision and, and Captain America, some of the TV shows, but like yeah. how much conversation do you guys have with what does this look like as a trilogy or things to come? Um, do you guys actually, 
um, write those after credit scenes or is that suggested? Like how does some of that work? You can, you can, uh, we can do a spoiler note or not. I'll, I'll leave that <laughs> yeah. guess to you. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, so I would say that we have, we have a kind of a broad strokes idea of like where it could go. I guess the best way to describe it is like, if you're a good chess player, you know, like you're playing chess and you're going to checkmate the other guy, but you're not exactly the other opponent, but you're not exactly sure like how you're going to do it. And so it's all about giving yourselves multiple paths to victory, you know? So you try to create this uh, situation, this narrative where there's many different ways you can go that are going to lead to something satisfying. So as far as like the overall broad strokes of, of a trilogy or, or what Eternals could be in the future, there's kind of, ideas but not exactly specifics and then speaking to the uh the post credits the mid credit and the post credit sequence specifically yeah that's something that um that is obviously the most uh emblematic of of where it's going to go and that there's a lot of different things that got auditioned there you know and we tried out a lot of different versions and um and different versions based on how the script was was uh, wrapping up different versions fit better better than, than others so the current one with with um, that happens. <laughs> it was, that was, that was one that came, uh, that was actually pretty early on. And, uh, I think it got like swapped out a few times, but it kept getting kind of coming, coming back in just because it just really made the most sense based on where we ended our, uh, this chapter with, uh, the Eternals. Yeah. And speaking of that, you know, what we like to call them is kind of like open doors. You want to leave, yeah. like you want to satisfy your audience. You want to, teach them something, help them learn, grow, do all the stuff that an audience expects out of a movie, but you want to leave some doors open, you know, and, and that the audience wants to sift through. They want to find out what happens next. And that was really, you know, I guess now it's a spoiler alert because it's just, you know, go see the movie. It, it's definitely worth seeing on the biggest possible screen as soon as possible for sure. But yeah, with that ending with Ereshem, you know, that was something that we said, you cannot kill a god and then not face the consequences. So we knew that that was going to happen, the sort of order of events of how we got there changed a few times but that was always essentially the core ending and then we always wanted to introduce star fox we always wanted to introduce eros yeah as essentially saying like he's a, he's such a great counterpoint to every other eternal because he's the first like he's just you know his superpower is making people fall in love with him i mean that's literally like he can make anyone fall for him and that's what a great toy that there's going to be a play with in the sequels to watch him use that to watch that go down um and then that it would be sort of become this intergalactic cosmic rescue mission was also something we talked a lot about um and just the way they pulled that off was great i think it's going to be a lot more fun we always wanted the eternals to be able to tap the farthest reaches of the mcu from like literally the ancient past all the way into like the deeply weird cosmic future and so that's sort of where we thought, you know, it's start here and we'll end here. It's only the biggest possible arc a Marvel movie could have. What could go wrong? Um, and so we, we challenged ourselves with that for sure. And then Dame, that's just, uh, I think that's all the machinations of the MCU at work. You know, Stacey Oseka first writing Blade is a friend of ours. I am very excited to see what she does with Dane and where that all goes. But yeah, that's the, that's Chloe's already spoiled that one. So I'll let that one go. But um, yeah, we're excited to see how the Nightwalker or maybe it's the Daywalker uh, teams up with Dane Whitman. Gotcha. How do you guys think about um, Marvel's always been kind of famous for having unique powers and having those powers play off each other. Like, how do you think about how these superpowers influence individual characters? And then it's so unique in this film where you normally see a character and you get this long intro, but you guys kind of like, we're, we're basically in a fight. We have to kind of figure the audience has to figure it out as it's happening. How did you guys think about the characters and then showing those in the best way? Yeah, well, I mean, for all the individual powers in this one, uh, with Eternal, with Eternals, 
that was the cool the cool thing because they all sort of represent it was all about figuring out like what would be the best team that could help humanity both be protected and advance throughout time. So you're thinking about all these powers that would be useful to humanity and, and it would explain different phenomenon that we've seen, these advancements in human evolution and human intelligence. So it was really fun to kind of like um, have that sort of little matrix that you're just kind of plugging into. Um, and then of course, how they can complement uh, one another. Um, and, uh, and so, and just speaking to like the way that they're uh, introduced, you know, I think that because this is the 26th Marvel movie, there's a certain amount of um, credit that we give to an audience that, that they've developed a, a kind of a language and a sense and an understanding of these things that we can sort of throw people in media res into an into a unfolding sequence and they can catch up a lot quicker than they could, say, like, uh, you know, 20 years ago. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so I, I mean, that was, that was throughout, obviously, a challenge, like you alluded to earlier, of of you're introducing all these characters, all this new mythology and all this stuff in one single movie. But I think it's a testament to uh, Marvel's faith and audiences uh, of today. How do you think about if you get somewhere and you're particularly stuck, like let's say like, I really don't know what Sprite does here. How do you guys handle that? Is it back to research? Is it a conversation? Um, what do you do when you're stuck at a certain point? My my big thought on this, and you know, there's no right answer ever to each situation because every movie is different. But you always want to come back to something that I think Ryan told me very early in our collaboration is like it's about characters making choices. You know, when you're in a situation, you always want this the plot, the machinations of space gods and you know alien immortals to still come down to the fact that these are people, whether they're humans or not, who are making choices about their lives, about their fates, about why and what they want, you know? And I think that's something that when you watch, you hope that when you watch this film, you know, that the choices people are making are really rooted in their ideologies and the things that they want and ultimately the things that they need. Um, and then you get to this place where, you know, everyone is a, an immortal space god, but they also are a family, you know, and the families have these dynamics where someone likes so-and-so, someone hates so-and-so, there's a rivalry, there's a jealousy, there's a secret between these people. And so we tried to populate the universe, certainly this script, with enough of those familiar connections that it was inevitable, you know, that the way this yeah. movie went, and, and we sort of knew a lot of these big strokes, again, a, a spoiler alert, we knew that this sort of third act turn was something that we always wanted to explore from the very beginning of this project, because it's really a story about duty, your responsibility, essentially, versus your family. You know, who do you choose? You choose that mission you've been given. Does that rise above all? Are you going to be that loyal soldier or are you going to choose to support the ones you love, the ones that have loved you all your life? You know, and I think that's one of the big existential questions of this movie is what yeah. is more important? Is your faith more important than your family? And is there a right answer? And I think, you know, ultimately what we're trying to explore is that there, there isn't a clear and clean answer. And that's what makes life and superheroism challenging. Yeah, I think that uh, love versus duty is something that we wrote on the whiteboard and in our writing office really early on and we're just constantly thinking about that um and uh yeah in terms of just getting stuck uh, almost always when we're stuck in a, in a scene or a sequence it's because we don't really know what the character is trying to accomplish in this scene or this sequence we don't know what they want and so then and a lot of times that you have to kind of go backwards and say like well we're, why do we lose that thread and it's a it's almost always like something that's happened earlier in the script um but then there are also like just simple little kind of craft tricks that you can do 
which is like some things like just change the location, you know, like a scene that you've been stuck on forever. Well, maybe if it's set inside, set it outside, you know, and then and it just it changes things. It opens up things in your mind. I think like Eric Roth is the one who might have said he, when he's stuck, he just makes it he makes it rain. And so now it's raining in the scene and, and it just suddenly opens up new ideas for you. So, you know, there's all kind of little tricks that you learn um, along the way, uh, but it almost always comes back to oh, what does the character want in the scene and, and what is the choice that they're being um, presented with in the scene. What was kind of like briefly like your timeline for this? Like how long did you spend outline? How long did you spend writing drafts, things like that? Uh, yeah, we, I think, so we got on the project in, um, uh, I think it was like April of 2018. Yeah. And then, uh, and then we, you know, it took a while to just break the story and get the outline into, into a good place. And then we started, uh, writing in like the, I think it was like August or something of that year. And then, uh, ended up, um, working on it for, yeah, a little bit over a year, probably about like 15 months doing like something like, I don't know, like eight drafts or something like that um over but, that time but every then, draft yeah. you know that you do has like a, a precursor draft and like a post notes right. draft so you really like fundamentally there's probably about like 15 drafts that have come out of this process and i can tell you out of the entire process there's something like 26 drafts and they're all spiritually the same and dealing with the same stuff and what you're really just trying to do is you know make it make the most sense have the most power be the most effective form of storytelling. And, you know, I think sometimes you can write a movie in a month when you have two great characters in a simple machine. And we obviously were dealing with, I think, 10 new characters. Really, it's 11 if you count Crow and 12 if you count Erisham, you know, and their arcs and their wants and their needs and uh, and trying to get all that in there. It was, an, it was absolutely a uh, colossal movie. And that's also at the same time, you know, we set out to tell a colossal story. So we were we were very proud to have that challenge you guys have done a really good job of kind of describing this like you know iceberg effect of all the things you can't see what other things can we not see what are some other misconceptions about screenwriting about screenwriting i, I have a i have a one sentence one which is not meant to be uh to be rude in any way, but I always say it, like screenwriting is one of those funny uh, jobs where because people have seen so many movies that they're like, I can tell, I know how to tell a story because I've seen so many movies. But it's like, if you were a plumber, if you're like, I've used a lot of toilets, but I don't know how to fix a toilet. You know, you still hire a plumber to do that. Um, It's the same, I, I sort of use that analogy because screenwriting, you have to fail a lot to be able to, to succeed, you know, and you have to write a lot of scripts and write a lot of ideas and do it a lot. You can't just suddenly say, okay, I'm going to write a movie and it's going to be perfect. My first time, um, like many things, it requires practice. And I think that's something that this is not to be discouraging. It's meant to be like, you should fail. You should be challenged and you should, Mm -hmm. um, be prepared to fail so that you can finally succeed and to put in that work and don't be discouraged. You know, if the first time you try to fix a toilet, you break it. Yeah, and I just to add to that, like I think actually early on, and when I uh, started getting serious about writing, I actually wrote like a novel uh, when I was in my early twenties. And at that time, I was always sort of like, well, screenwriting is not like real writing, basically. Like I wrote screenplays and I really enjoyed it, but I was just like, it's not real writing. It's really just like you know, directing. It, it, film is film is a director's medium, so that's when you really make the movie. And, uh, and this is just sort of like the blueprint. But I, I as I wrote more and more, and as I uh, got more and more serious about uh, about uh, filmmaking, I got more and more respect for it. And I think one of the really cool things about um, screenwriting is that Kaz and I are both kind of like um, uh, puzzle people. Like we really love puzzles. We really love like logic games, those kind of things. And screenwriting is like a merger 
between um, like an engineering mind and an artistic mind, you know, because in all of writing, with perhaps the exception of like a haiku, there's no like more like, like structure that you're trying to, that you there's no more parameters. Uh, there's no more strict parameters that you're trying to fit in than with screenwriting. Like screenwriting is very much about structure. It's very much about format. And so every time you approach a new screenplay, you know, it's gotta be within like, you know, 100 to 120 pages or whatever it is. It's gotta hit these certain little beats. And so every time it's kind of like working with that same structure, the way that a haiku is, um, but doing it differently, you know? And so you have to always, it's always about like fitting the puzzle pieces together um, in, a, in a new way, uh, essentially. And so it really, it really taxes both your um, creative artistic uh, abilities and your just like um, puzzle solving uh, abilities. Yeah, as a metaphor, I often say this, I don't remember if I said this already, but that's like writing a big screen, writing any screenplay is like doing a thousand piece puzzle, but it's it's in your imagination. Like you have to like keep track of the edges and the corners and like there's a little dolphin in the bottom right corner that you're like, you have some pieces of it, but you don't know how where the whole dolphin is. And it requires that ability to visualize, you know, on a holistic level, but then also to like empathize deeply. Like you need to be able to write great characters that want something, but also structure it so it all makes sense. Um, and like I said, like all things, it really is, um, you can't draw a perfect, you know, face the first time you set out to just sketch a, a face and you, you perfect these different parts of it. Um, reading the books and, and watching the movies and, and collecting stories from all over is really, I think, the best way to get through those blocks and to, to grow. And having a partner that's really talented that you uh, talk to on the phone. That's the other thing. I just find the screenplays to be very verbal, you know, because they are verbal. Ultimately, this is uh, this is just one last aside before, you know, you, you ask, we wrap this up. But I just want to say it's like screenplays, you know, you can't write anything that you cannot see. That's sort of like the rule of this of the screenplay. And so being able to talk about these things and to walk around and argue about them, it sort of makes them um filming like you know future proof that's a big part of that process and and being able to bounce them off of great producers and great directors that's you know uh, ten thousand people worked on eternals and along the way everyone's making decisions and choices that are making this movie we hope better and a lot of it begins you know with two guys in a windowless room at marvel um walking around a table talking about gods if you guys were to maybe give yourself advice before you wrote the script to ruin, or was there any false beliefs you had back then that have changed? Like what's oh, yeah. kind of changed since then? What did you used to think that was totally off? Um, I have a one I mean, sentence. Yeah. <laughs> you could, you could think I, I, I would just say like, honestly, um, yeah. Ruin was kind of such a special script because of what we didn't know really <laughs> like that's you know, exactly like, it we didn't yeah we didn't write it for any kind of a market or anything we just wrote it as a story and something that we were going to just do and we were just totally like outside the system had never even had any kind of like meetings with anybody never met an executive never been on the lot never done any of that stuff so we just didn't really uh, know much about the market at all and and as you get kind of more uh seasoned um you all the kind of like the market and the um the business stuff, it, it, it kind of bleeds into your writing a bit, you know, and it bleeds into the way that you approach stories and, and, and your, your concepts too. And that's kind of like a double-edged sword, you know, because you, you, you get sharper at figuring out like, well, this is how you make a movie that can actually be made and will actually get to production. But at the same time, it may be um, like limits and filters you in other ways that, that, which is, we didn't have that on Rune. It was just like total, like pure creation, you know? 
Yeah, we, we didn't have agents. We didn't have managers. We had no like uncle we could call to get that meeting in Hollywood. It was really like we were in a cabin in the woods just saying like, let's make a movie we can make, write a movie we can make. And that's the advice that I would say I would give to myself and take away is that when you write a story like you have to love it first, you know, it has to work for you first. And that when you're, when you're setting out to do it, you know, challenge, like go to the edge, I guess is what I would say. Like always take things to the farthest limit of what they should be, because like, we're all perverts, you know, deep down, like being a pervert isn't a bad thing. It's like, it's being interested in the dark side of humanity, you know, and in the, in the, in the dark stuff and sort of all those things in between. And when you're trying to make a movie, you know, you want to challenge an audience, you want to take them places they haven't seen before and cross boundaries and then come back, you know, and I think that was something that we just didn't even think about when we wrote Ruin, because it wasn't for an audience, it was for ourselves. And if you write a movie for yourself first, something that you're going to love, yeah, that's how you make something special. Yeah, and just to kind of just a more uh, specific example of that, like that same year that Ruin won Blacklist, we actually sold this other script called Mimi from Rio to Netflix. And in that script, I look at like that draft that we sold and there's like so much stuff in there that I'm like, well, you could never, now I look back and I'm like, you can never do that in like a movie that costs like 60 or $80 million. Like they'll just, <laughs> it just, just can't, you know? Um, and so like, I, so nowadays I would never even try to put that stuff in there. Um, but back then we just were like, oh, this is, this is cool. Like this is a cool idea. Let's just, let's just go for it. And so, so kind of like now it's sort of like, we're finding a good marriage of those two uh, versions of ourselves as writers, like of, of, of being, having experience and knowing uh, how things work, but also like recapturing that sort of naivete uh, that we approached um, screenwriting with in the early days. Thank you for tuning in to the show. If it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, the blog, the podcast, and my new book, Ink by the Barrel, which takes advice from these 200 plus interviews and more at brockswinson.com. You'll see the link in the show notes. Thanks again.